In this episode of the Brown Girl Chronicles, we are discussing rape, sexual assault, survivorship, and domestic violence. Welcome back to the Brown Girl Chronicles. I'm Sobeta Rosa, your host. This is a podcast aimed to discuss topics framed around my life, but also how these topics intersect into the lives of people around me. Today, I'm speaking with members of IC Strike, an activist group on Ithaca College's campus, bringing awareness uh, for sexual assault and domestic violence. So if you want to introduce yourselves. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I'm Hope Gardner. I'm the president of IC Strike. And I don't know what else, how else to introduce myself. So yeah. <laughs> Perfect. I'm Julia Siegel. I'm the secretary for IC Strike and a founding member. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. Well, I'm going to start a new segment on my podcast where I ask my guests, my guests, <laughs> Where I ask my guests what they're passionate about. So that is my question to you both. What are you passionate about and why? Ooh, that's a good one. Do you want to go first? I think I'm really passionate about the way we talk to each other. The language we use to describe things, how that language is reflective of our current culture and how it can impede or progress our uh, progress towards our goals. You know, how our language um, deafens people beneath us, how it boosts people who need it or don't, and um, how it can be misleading to what our intentions are and how it can actually really help us uh, foster our goals. Wow, that was beautiful. Okay. Thank you. Um, so I am passionate about kind of like the power that comes, like you were talking about with the words. Um, and especially with reclaiming stories, like that's kind of what I see strike is founded on is this idea that like we can reclaim what's happened to us and then make pro- positive change through that reclamation. So that's something I'm super passionate about is just not feeling like you have to be silent about things you've experienced. Beautiful. Um and obviously you're both passionate about activism and that's why you're in IC Strike. And getting right into the interview why did i guess hope you're you started it and also julia your founding member why did you both start this group what made you want to start it what's the purpose of it your mission kind of just giving background to the listeners that don't know what it's about yeah so i kind of came up with the idea for ic strike about a year ago after my own experiences of getting raped and then trying to go, you know, the quote unquote criminal justice route and basically just getting like totally screwed over and re-traumatized with that. And so after that whole horrible chapter kind of ended, I was left with this feeling like there was nothing I could really do to reclaim my own experiences because at least, you know, when I was doing the criminal justice stuff and working with the police, there was at least this sense of like, okay, like, something could happen because I'm telling my story. But then after, you know, the case went nowhere and all that stuff, um, I was very much stuck with how do I continue healing if I don't have anything I can do about this? And so that's where the idea for IC Strike came up was like this idea of we're still able to do things, you know, outside of what these institutions are telling us are the options. And like we can still continue healing and we can heal through action and we can heal through creating a sense of community and like you don't have to go through necessarily like the criminal justice route or the different reporting areas like you can still 
be a survivor and be with other survivors and make a difference without necessarily having to subject yourself to those really traumatic things. So uh, I heard about Hope's experience, I think about a month after it happened, which I think put me in the first wave of people outside her immediate family who found out. And uh, obviously someone who's really close to me um, became a pretty big part of my life in terms of it was the first person I'd known who had experienced that. And mm -hmm. it was someone who's close to me. Um, so I was in very early on the groundwork of her uh, goals and her determination to reclaim what she had lost or what had been taken from her. Um, I got involved with the club uh, about a month after I think her efforts to make it official happened. You know, she needed a, another person to go on the name on the roster in order to make the club official. And originally I said, yeah, sure, you know, use my name. It's whatever. And she said, yeah, you don't have to do anything. And But the more I read about the club, the more I realized this is an amazing cause. It gives people that power through words. It gives people that um, uh, power through representation and uh, a, a community for um, finding their voice in uh, times of crisis. And again, it brings attention to the cultural crisis of, uh, you know, assault rape and honestly just the um, depression and muting of voices. Beautifully said. Um, for the listeners that don't know, I'm also involved in Icy Strike as the social media manager of sorts. Um, and I'm also close with Hope. So I have a passion, like one of my passions, I don't think I said it before, is social justice, advocacy and activism. Um, and kind of the same thing with Julia, like I knew Hope personally and like hearing her story was inspiring the way that you wanted to create action behind all the emotions that you were feeling because it's a very, it's a very emotionally charged thing to go through, obviously being traumatized and re-traumatized after the event and like trying to process it is a lot. Um, I do want to ask for clarification i guess because i know you've spoken about this too that this isn't a just for survivors and b it's not a support group and maybe if you can go into that a little bit yeah yeah a hundred percent so like i was saying earlier like the whole point well there's a lot of points but like the main point of icy strike is like having this tangible change we can make and like doing you know having actions we can take which you know, for people like me who have experienced sexual assault, that can be really healing. But like you said, like this organization isn't focused only on survivors. And it's definitely not a support group in the sense like none of us are therapists. And I'm a firm believer in the power of therapy. And I think it would be wrong if I tried to facilitate that because I'm not a qualified professional. So um, I 100% think that therapy is really important but that's not what this organization is about this organization is specifically about taking action where we see problems and so that's why we've done you know a toiletry drive for the advocacy center an advocacy center women's shelter um and like this semester we're doing a clothing drive for cayuga med so that people who get rape kits done can leave wearing clothes that actually fit them but um we're also really big on the educational aspect of it. And a lot of education surrounding sexual assault has to do with how to be an ally. And so this organization, we really thrive on the fact that we have people from a diverse background of experiences. And 
you know, we never ask people what they've experienced or why they're there because that's not what this is focused on. But it's really about creating the sense of community and this idea that you don't have to be a rape survivor or an assault survivor to take action and do something about rape and assault, you know? Yeah, what things um, like the Me Too movement and Time's Up have really illuminated is that people are willing to call out injustice or just morally corrupt behavior in society and in institutions. But what happens after that behavior is identified sort of gets up, goes up in the air. Um, something I know I've tried to take on board in my life is the idea if you're going to complain about something, you by God better do something about it. And that's, I think, what the main point, like Hope was saying, of Icy Strike is, is to feel like you are doing something, not to feel victimized by the stagnation. Um, But again, as Hope uh, said, it's not a support group. The point isn't uh, to help people through their own trauma. Again, I personally have not experienced um, any kind of violent sexual assault or direct sexual assault. Uh, So I do not fit into the category of survivor or victim, but this club is very important to me because it gives me that sense of power to help people like my friends who have experienced it and in in general to feel like I am doing something meaningful um, for an issue that uh, can affect me and can affect others who might not have the platform to make those changes. So the the whole point is to feel power through uh, change and um, advocacy. And I think the education piece is really important. And um, that's something I appreciate from the group because I know this is something that highly affects women. um, And we are all women identifying people. So even though like for Julia and I hasn't personally happened to us, like we know that it's important to A, educate ourselves and B, like help educate others. Um, And one thing I really appreciate from the group, like being part of it and like its message and mission is that. I feel like a lot of the times, like in any kind of situation, like the person that the trauma or is has that lived experience, like the the education falls on them to educate other people. And we're kind of being like, no, like you need to educate yourself and like we're, we'll give you the tools and like the guidance to do that. Um, so I was wondering if you guys wanted to speak more on the education piece and like what what the club kind of does in terms of like how we educate and what we do. Yeah, so the education aspect is arguably, like, the biggest part of the organization since our weekly meetings are specifically focused on Mm -hmm. different topics. And so, like, for example, this month our topics were what is Title IX? And then, you know, we're going to be having a Q&A for Title IX with Linda Koenig, the director, this Monday. Um, But then we also cover topics like... um, like what the different processes are for people after they've experienced sexual assault, like what does um, like intimacy look like for survivors and not just sexual intimacy, but all different kinds of intimacy. Giving people vocabulary to talk about these things. Yeah. Giving people vocabulary is such a powerful thing. And we're also going to be talking about, you know, intersectional advocacy and masculinity and privilege. Like we cover all these topics because a really big part of you know, the foundational beliefs of this organization is that it's not only women who are affected and it's not only white women are affected and white women are the main demographic that are kind of given the spotlight to talk about their experiences, especially with this whole, you know, Me Too movement, which was co-opted from Tarana Burke, who was the originator and a bunch of white women kind of took it over. And that's when it got 
you know, it reached this level of recognition that it has now. But it's doing a huge disservice to ourselves and to everyone by pretending that we are the only demographic here. And when you don't acknowledge all the different variances of it, like how can you say you're combating rape culture if you're focused only on the white women like mm -hmm. who are assaulted by men? Like that's not how this works. So the education is also about raising awareness of the variances because like I just said, a lot of people who have been assaulted don't really fit into that one demographic who society has kind of decided it's acceptable for them to come forward about it. And so kind of this idea is that even if you don't want to come forward, even if it hasn't happened to you yet, just understanding that you're not alone and that your pain is just as valid as these other people who've been kind of validated by society. And I don't want to pretend that, you know, all of a sudden with these movements that every white woman who comes forward is immediately believed because that's not the situation. Right. And it is still a really horribly painful process, but we're given the most credibility when it comes to this. And so and the most resources. Right. And the most resources. And so also a lot of this is like, you know, I'm a white woman who experienced this and throughout the entire process, you know, down to like the tiny details, I was met with a lot of resources that a lot of people who don't look like me and don't identify as me, like they're not going to have the same access. And so this whole concept of education is really about making sure that people have equal access to resources. So even if they haven't experienced something, you know, maybe their friend will or maybe somebody else they know will. And then people know or like, okay, this is what is available here and this is what's available there. So it's really about filling in all these horrifically large gaps that are in place right now and also helping people to understand that like there's not just one way to go about this, just like there's not just one type of person who's affected by this. And so covering this, you know, wide variety of topics really kind of helps us be able to get in on a lot of different aspects of you know, what it means to be a sexual assault survivor and how that plays into identity and how that plays into societal standards and how that plays into like gender norms and all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it's really just about making sure that everybody has access to resources, even if they typically wouldn't through traditional means of healing. And even access to information is so mm -hmm. powerful. Um, because we, like, obviously as a student organization are limited in the resources that we can, like, actually provide. But, like, we have access to information that we can also give to other people. And one thing that's become very evident throughout this process is that ignorance is truly shackling. And I think the two fronts we've confronted through uh, our meetings and through just this general process, it's spreading the word, the process of getting confirmed as an organization, is that there are sort of two... Um, issues in terms of knowledge, a lack of knowledge. We have procedural ignorance. You know, people don't come forward because they don't know what will happen. They don't know how to come forward. So when we had a meeting about, you know, Icy Strike, the differences between, you know, um, criminal action and um, what happens on a school level, no one had any idea. And that really changed, that can really change how people proceed forward with this information. But also we became very apparent that there is a huge chasm between people and resources. There is a lack of trust between, you know, if we if we take the microcosm of Ithaca College, huge lack of trust between the student body and, you know, 
certain resources provided by the administration and why is that there? How can that be alleviated? Who needs to be informed? What needs to be changed? Um, so just giving people, again, it circles back to the idea of giving people the power to make those changes and, you know, as the old adage would claim knowledge is power in this instance. People can't take action until they know what their options are and what the repercussions of those options will be. Yeah, 100%. And it's also just so daunting to try to deal with this kind of a thing if you don't know what the resources are and you don't know the different ways to go. I mean, I know that for me, after I got raped, I spent easily like literally probably 30 or 40 hours just online trying to understand what the different processes would mean. Like if I go this route, what's it going to mean? And if I go this route, what's it going to mean? And like, I can't even count how many times I just sat there crying because I was so frustrated because Mm -hmm. there wasn't some clear cut path I could take. And it felt like no matter what I chose, there were all these variables and I didn't understand how they worked and I couldn't find people who understood how they worked. And so this education aspect is, you know, something super personal for me. Um, Because, like I said, like I spent 40 hours researching this. I have done so much digging on my own that I was able to do because I was privileged enough to have access to resources and privileged enough to have a family who was supportive. And a lot of stuff went my way to enable me to do my own research. But a lot of people in the same situations I've been in wouldn't have the time or the access to be able to do that. And so this is also really about kind of taking out the blurred lines in here and making sure that people know explicitly, like, if you do this, this is what will happen. These are the things that could go from here. This is what happens if you choose each pathway, because it's so, so terrifying trying to decide what to do after you've experienced this kind of trauma and not having any idea what it'll even mean at the end of the day. I mean, it took me months to decide what I was going to do just because I was so scared that, you know, it was going to go out of my hands and that if I said something to the wrong person, then like everybody was going to find out and it would become like a news story. Like I was so terrified. And looking back, that added a huge amount of strain and stress onto my healing process, just like from not having any idea what to do. Like, I didn't even know who the different organizations were. I didn't know who the people were I was supposed to go to. Like, and it made it so much harder to move forward because in addition to having to focus on healing yourself, you're also trying to figure out what to do, which includes doing a lot of research, which is then re-traumatizing because then you're reading about all these different cases and these different things. And it just was a really horrific process. And if you don't know where to find that information there's no lifeline and it's not it's not easy to figure out where to find that information and it's all very you know convoluted and really 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 hard to navigate and so that's why you know the education aspect of this is just so so important because there's a huge gap between people and resources and like that gap is a hundred percent knowledge because if you don't know about the resources like how are you going to get the help you need right um And I wanted to touch base on something that I think both of you kind of um, spoke about earlier is kind of like the social stigma and the social um, kind of aspect to these conversations in general, like not only sexual assault, but also domestic violence. And like, it's not easy to come out and talk about these things because 
I think you had mentioned before, Hope, that uh, a lot of people think that this only affects women, which is not a thing. And then people kind of are like male identifying people get kind of emasculated when they're like, oh, like, how are you raped? Like you're a man or all this stuff, Mm -hmm. like all these other stigmas that come on top of it. And then also just like being a woman and being comfortable in her own sexuality then talking about sex and then even talking about getting raped they're just like oh well you're not even supposed to be talking about this in the first place kind of thing um so i like what are your what are your thoughts on how the group has kind of had navigated these conversations and like obviously it goes with that education piece but like also it's it's hard to talk about these things yeah did you have something you want to say So I would say (laughs) the format of our meetings is pretty telling about how we navigate those conversations. The meeting starts with a a presentation or a a general foundation given by the e-board members, usually hope, um, about the topic. And then we open it up to discussion. And what that does is it levels the playing field. It sets everyone up with the same toolbox for these kinds of discussions. And I think that's something that's sorely lacking in our culture and society. Um, You know, we're on a very liberal campus in a pretty liberal part of the country. So everyone is very aware of these issues, but it doesn't mean that they know how to talk about them. So when we talk about rape, we talk with hushed tones. And honestly, something I've noticed is that we don't even use the phrase rape. Hope introduced that phrase into the conversation very early, you know, not to diminish what happened, to use the aggressive vocabulary. Um, Because that word has power and a lot of weight to it. So like not using it sometimes is even like. And so people think that, you know, sexual assault is a synonym for that. And we're like, no, that's not what we're talking about necessarily. So setting everyone up on the same level to begin with, I think is critical to having these conversations because if you establish right at the beginning, you know, this is what's okay, this is what we're not comfortable with, um, this is what this word means. So when you use it, be sure that that is your intent. Uh, It gives people more confidence to have those conversations. Um, And it gives people the sense of security that you are all in this together, the stakes are equal for everyone and when you're having these conversations. So no one is afraid to say something wrong because they know that the uh, conversation will redirect or the conversation will use that moment to educate or uh, discuss why that was incorrect. Um, So I think having an equal foundation, having the same toolbox and having a space where people aren't afraid to lose social capital by being politically incorrect is crucial to being successful in having these conversations. Yeah. And also, Like another part of why I feel like these conversations go so well is, like I said earlier, we never ask anybody to disclose what they've been through. And so because, you know, like I'm very open about it, which is terrifying and an incredibly, incredibly vulnerable place to be. And, you know, it's like I've been talking about what happened to me for over a year now. And I still like every time I talk about it, there's that little piece of me that's like, hope you're not supposed to talk about this. Like you're making people uncomfortable. You're exposing yourself. And there are, like, like you said, there's so much stigma around this topic. Right. Like, and around being somebody who's come out as a survivor or a victim, like that kind of, in a lot, with a lot of people and in a lot of circumstances, it kind of almost puts like a label on your head and they're like, oh, like she was raped. We need to be careful and like blah, blah, blah. Like even within the victim survivor community. Yeah. Like there's stigma. Yeah. And especially when you first come forward, people, you know, and I'm sure that a lot of people have the best of intentions, but people don't know how to respond Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. will sometimes say things that are really, really hurtful. You know, I can't even 
count how many people who I really respect and love who've said things along the line of like, well, what were you wearing? Or like, well, were you drunk? Or do you know that blah, like XYZ happened? And those conversations are really damaging to people who are trying to come forward. And so part of the focus of this organization is not making people put themselves in that vulnerable spot because, you know, that's what I've chosen to do, but that's not a common choice. And I don't think people should have to speak out because kind of like you were talking about earlier, it usually kind of falls on the survivor to educate people. Right. And that's not right. I don't think that that's how it should be, but that is how it is. And like focusing on that language piece that that we were talking about is like the one important thing. Like we even talk about like how to engage with survivors or even how to just like have inclusive language that doesn't put blame or like have a negative connotation when you're talking about these subjects because no one has the language to talk about it because it's such a taboo topic. Which, you know, compounds on itself because people realize that they lack that toolbox they're afraid they're going to say something wrong so they don't say anything so i think or people just don't care or don't have the right or they're completely inconsiderate right you know they don't care to find the right tools so and sometimes it's just like plain ignorance like they just keep going and don't so how do we correct people or Mm -hmm. how when do you educate and when do you um you know reprimand Mm -hmm. that sort of thing what's going to be the most effective towards your ends yeah and that completely depends on the person and you know, the power dynamics of the situation that you're in, because clearly if you're having this conversation with somebody who like is above you, quote unquote, above you, like that's very different having that kind of a conversation and kind of analyzing when to reprimand and when to kind of let it be versus, you know, our meetings in IC Strike where like you said, like all of us are on a level playing field. And so that is another part of why these conversations are so important to have is navigating how to have them with people outside of IC Strike. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. And I think we do a a good job of, like, creating brave spaces, um, which I think is a term that I really feel comfortable using because safe spaces sometimes don't allow for people to mess up or people to be critiqued and then, um, what's it called, corrected. So I think we do provide like a a good foundation when we do have these discussions like saying like it's okay to mess up but make but like just know that we'll we will check you and like right and we're always even checking each other because we're not all experts in like I'm definitely not and I'm still learning how to be an ally and an advocate and to educate my I'm constantly educating myself all the time and you and I Sobeila come from the distinct perspective of not being uh, a victim or survivor of sexual assault so there's always that line to mm-hmm. to be wary of oh yeah. right um my question was what are some things that you have accomplished um and then what are some things that you want to accomplish so i know that you talked about the drive the toiletries drive that you did last semester um mm-hmm. but what are some things looking forward to this semester that you want to accomplish as a group i know i've had some things that I've like as a member want to do like April is sexual assault awareness month. So doing some stuff like that. Um, some, yeah. <laughs> some events centered around that, but yeah. Yeah. We're still, you know, it's early in the semester, so not everything is planned out yet. But like I said before, we're doing um, a clothing drive for Cayuga medical because when you go to the hospital and get a rape kit done, they take your clothes as part of the evidence essentially. 
And so the clothes that they currently have at Cayuga Med are, you know, just kind of make you feel as gross about yourself as you would kind of usually feel in that situation. And so this idea is to make it so that with these clothes that we are going to donate, hopefully people can at least leave the hospital feeling, you know, obviously nobody feels great after that, but at least being comfortable in the clothes they're wearing. Like it's the tiniest thing, but it's really in that kind of a situation. The tiniest things can be kind of what make or break you. Um, And then we're also going to be continuing to do some more fundraisers. Last semester, our fundraiser was for the um, Tompkins County Advocacy Center, who is one of the prominent organizations here that works with survivors of sexual assault and is there for them throughout the entire process. Um, And we're also looking at other organizations in the community. We kind of are functioning on this idea that since we are recognized by the school and are, you know, funded by the school, we don't need to be raising funds for ourselves, but we also have a lot of access to different resources and being able to raise those funds to give to community organizations that are doing this same kind of work that aren't funded by a school and, you know, need to rely more on donations. And so we're trying to do, my hope for this semester is to do like at least two fundraisers for different organizations in the Ithaca community so that we can also kind of help them keep going. And then we are also going to be working with the Sophie Fund to create a community-wide event, which will be for next school year, so in like September maybe. But um, that's another long-term goal that's going to be really exciting and I think really, really beneficial to Ithaca as a community. And intangibly, I think we're you, we always have that pressing goal of opening these conversations up, giving people the same starting point in these conversations. So I know we're we are having um, you know different facilitated discussions with different groups on campus. We're looking to partner with IC Futures, which is a, a student-led activist organization, um, and uh, lots of different uh, on-campus student organizations in terms of having the difficult conversations that either specifically pertained to that organization or to the community at large. So we do have more um, campus focused goals as well, you know, about, you know, procedural education as well as cultural education. You know, how can we change this destructive and um, uh, wounding culture and what tangible changes can we make? Again, uh, back to the idea of what if we're going to complain, we need to make tangible choices. And honestly, I think the the promise of making tangible choices is what attracts people to this club, at least when I talk to um, potential members. Yes, I think the thing that makes this group different than other groups is that we're focused on creating change and whether it's just changing a person's perspective on how they think of a certain situation or it's going out into the community and doing some form of activism or community service. Um, And I think that's very unique to this group. And I'm excited to see where it goes and what happens throughout the semester. Um, Is there anything else that you both wanted to add or say? Um, I guess if you're listening to this and you're interested in being a part of IC Strike, you can find us on all social media at IC Strike. Or you can email us at icstrike@ithaca.edu. I'll have the information in the description. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yes, so if you want to connect with them, their information will be in the description. Thank you so much for coming on and being a part of today's episode. And thank you to everyone who's listening to this episode of the Brown Girl Chronicles. You can listen to this podcast and any other podcast by The Ithacan on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Thank you for coming on. Thank Thank you. you.